Hello, this is John Thornton. Bernetta Williams. And today we have Officer Scott, and we're going to discuss Know Your Rights. Officer Scott, do you want to introduce yourself and how you started working on the police department? Hello, um, my name is Maurice Scott. I'm a Philadelphia police officer. Uh, I've been a police officer for approximately 24 years now. Um, I started out working on the street um, as a patrol officer, and then from there I did a little bit of uh, narcotics work, um, plain clothes. I worked for Fire Squad, which, you know, you're assigned to the captain's office. Uh, you strictly um, are um, an officer that directly works with the captain, and we actually track down some of the more higher, um, you know, offenders that commit some of the higher crime. Um, so I did that for about five years, and then afterwards, I, you know, for seven years, I was assigned to PAL, the Police Athletic League, and I'm currently assigned to the Roxborough area, which is the 5th District. And I am in the position of the Community Relations Officer. Community Relations, that's what's up. Thank you for being here with us today for our podcast with directors, with North Light directors. Yes. Uh, so we're definitely getting direct with North Light directors today. And what we're going to talk about is how can someone conduct themselves when engaging with a police officer? So can we talk about, like, what are some of the steps someone should take when engaging with a police officer? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> thought you guys said another question behind that. But um, there are several things that I've always uh, shared with the community. Um, you know, for one, I, I believe it's our responsibilities, responsibility as an officer, um, to not only be uh, active, uh, but be proactive. Um, I think that's a more holistic approach. And what I mean by that is as we approach the community, in order to, you know, have the trusted community, we also have to, you know, inform and, I believe, educate the community on how to engage police. Um, one of the things I've always talked about with regards to engaging um, police is that you as a citizen um, do have the power as well um, as the officer has the power to arrest. So you as a, as a citizen should be looking for certain things um, as you're being stopped um, by the police. Um, and one uh, is, uh, you know, badge number, uh, which is, um, I think, is very important. Um, names, if you can remember. Badge number is most important because uh, that badge number is like a Social Security number. Um, okay. Names are, you know, kind of, you know, everyone, it's probably about five different officers in the department with the last name Scott. But that badge number is synonymous with that officer. And I believe that's very important um, because, you know, at times, you know, when the public is engaging the police or vice versa, um, it's not always, a, a, you know, always a good encounter or could go um, in a way in which uh, the officer may not want to go in. And also the uh, the citizen may not want to go in. And they, that what I mean by that is the officer may not be right at all times. So I'm coming from a perspective, from a civilian perspective, is to remember, uh, you know, numbers, badge numbers, um, vehicle numbers, location, time, and, and date is very, very important. With that being said, that doesn't mean that the officer is going to do something wrong, but it does mean that it, it gives you the power if something were to go wrong, that you have the right information to make a report and decency in an order. 
What information should you provide if a qu- officer is questioning you? Or should, like, let's say, for example, you're being pulled over because of a routine traffic stop. What information do you have to provide and what information do you not have to provide when an officer pulls you over? Well, one of the things I would always say is um, if you're being pulled over, just make sure that you're doing the right thing. Okay. Just make sure that you're not, you know, breaking the law. Um, you, you're not... Um, Driving dirty, as they say, yeah. or making a, um, a right turn on a no right turn on a red signal, mm. right? If by chance that is the case, if you're wrong, then 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 so be it. But if that's not the case, you know, when the officer pulls you over um, and the officer said that you did, you know, you had a violation, you ought to provide the, your ID, your, uh, your license, driver's license, um, or a state ID. Um, also what you need is, uh, your life, uh, I'm sorry, your insurance mm-hmm. as well as your registration for your vehicle. And all of those credentials have to be up to date. Um, if you do not have a driver's license, um, at least have a state, uh, a state ID license, or I think the Philadelphia program has some, some type of program where you're able to get an ID, but it's only good within the confines of Philadelphia. I don't know if you guys heard about that, something that you, you might want to look at. Okay. Um, but at least have those um, those uh, those credentials with you. Um, if for some reason you, you don't have that, then it, there again, you have to know that you are required by the state to have those three pieces of identification once you're pulled over by the police department. And if you don't, you do stand uh, the chance of you having your vehicle taken, um, which is a live stop, um, but also um, be uh, subjected to fines, and they can accumulate up to hundreds of dollars. So you won't necessarily get arrested. It's just vehicle taken or fines in those type of situations. Um, what I want to ask next, but this is a good topic to go on, but I want to ask one more question about that. Uh, in situations where you are stopped and you did nothing wrong, do they have the right to search your vehicle? Or do they not have the right to search your vehicle? If you did nothing wrong, um, wh- what I say also is if you stop by police and you feel as though you did nothing wrong, you have the right to ask the officer, what am I stopped for? Right. And that officer has to give you uh, he has to give you he or she has to give you a decent, um, uh, lawful um, explanation as to why they're stopping you. Right. If they cannot give you a reason as to why they stopping you, that doesn't mean that you fight on site. That doesn't mean that you start a verbal war back and forth with that officer. What you could do is request for a supervisor because for that officer, he has a, he or she has a supervisor that that's held accountable. Right. During that shift to um, to supervise that officer. So okay. you do have the power if you feel as though that you're not being stopped. And it doesn't mean that you have to make a complaint, but it does does show a you know a show of uh, some some empowerment within yourself if you don't believe that you know the officer stopping you lawfully. Okay. So I just wanted to interject um, because I wanted to still make this a conversation. Um, so you mentioned when people are riding dirty, mm. you know they they 
I would say they act different, right, if they're being stopped by the law. Mm-hmm. Because now they know that there's there are some things that they don't have that's in compliance with um, actually driving a vehicle. So um, uh, expired registration of some sort or expired insurance. Then if those are the cases and the fines are the only things that the officer can do, why why is it that sometimes people find themselves in other situations and it was a stop for a registration or a license? I, I, I believe that, at, you know, a lot of times people just don't know their rights, mm-hmm. you know, with regards to, like, illegal search. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if if your credentials aren't right, right, and you are then issued a ticket, that doesn't mean that if you have a passenger or three, that all three of them are subject to an um, investigation. Because you as the driver, and this happens, mm-hmm. you as the driver, and you have uh, three individuals in the, in, the, in the vehicle, right? You make a right-hand turn without using, uh, using your, your signal, right? The police officer, you know, pulls you over, right? And at that time, the uh, officer goes to the driver and conducts an investigation, right? And asks for the credentials that we spoke of, the ID, uh, the insurance and the registration. So at that set time, the individual gives those those three, you know, three credentials, you know, and one's expired. Well, at that time, it's still an investigation between the officer and the driver of the vehicle, right? It's not an investigation with all the other occupants in the vehicle unless they have suspicion for some other reason. It's just a traffic stop. Um, when the officer gets into asking, you know, for uh, ID of all the occupants in the vehicle, that should raise a red flag, you know. And at that point, again, I, I and I'm saying this because, you know, maybe some officers don't know that. Maybe some officers don't really know that what they're doing is perhaps a violation of uh, civil rights. Okay. You know what I mean? And we as a, as a community, and I say community, I say we because I'm part of the community because I came from the community, should know our rights and know how to conduct ourselves uh, uh, accordingly. Right. And remain calm, because what happens is uh, s- sometimes we get, you know, a little bit, you know, drive may, you know, the passion may get a little upset or the driver get a little bit upset. And when that, when that happens, it starts to exacerbate the issue. And now it becomes a little bit or appears to be violent because of the person created that, you know, that, that violent atmosphere. And now it becomes something different. So we don't want to give them um, you don't want to give officers another leg up just to j- just to do. Um, for for instance, like a, a search of the vehicle, or perhaps even pulling the um, individual out of the car, and it's not necessary. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that brings me to my next question. What about Miranda rights? Let's talk about that. Um, when you are arrested, uh, is the officer required to say the Miranda rights, or what circumstance would require an officer not to say the Miranda rights? Um, typically what happens is, you know, um, officers on the street, uh, we don't really necessarily, uh, you know, recite the Miranda rights. Um, that's something to practice. Uh, typically it happens, uh, when the individual is taken to the detectives. So we really don't get it. I don't really get in, you know, to the Miranda rights on how that, you know, what that looks like. Um, however, I would say if, for, if for some reason we are taught the Miranda rights, if for some reason we, we, uh, recite the Miranda rights to an individual, um, just know that that individual now, whatever he or she says, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody knows at least that part. Yeah. Whatever you say can be held against you 
or will be held against you, it absolutely will be. Right. So for 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 um, individuals out there, um, and you know, the officers, you know, you know, repeat the Miranda rights. Just know that whatever you say uh, can and uh, will be held against you in um, court. I have a question about that. Um, because we are a society where we are now recording things and and people are recording other things that are going on within um, our communities, like police stops and things like that. When it comes to a situation where a person is saying something after the police says these things and the police officers have to document this information, correct? So if they're going off a memory of what the person said and they already are exacerbated by the incident or by the situation, I personally think that would change the narrative that goes into the report for this individual or this citizen because the officer is the person that is creating this report. So it's his his interpretation of what the person is saying. Is that correct? Now, this is after after a video recording? After the Miranda rights are read. Okay. And say, for, for instance, the civilian has a video recording from an external source. And now that information, they want to match up the information to make sure that the officer, what they recorded on that document or that report, is is aligned consistent. with what the, or consistent with the, what the video has shown. Yeah. Um, there again, um, it, you know, we, I don't necessarily face that. I kind of see where you're going with that. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, recordings and things of that nature, that's something that's conducted by detectives. Okay. And we don't, as, you know, officers on the street are not privy to that. Um, a lot of what we do as far as documentation is, 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 is through um, testimony, you know, preliminary hearings when we go to court and report writing. Um, the initial report writing that we do, um, but recordings, um, kind of such as like you see on, um, uh, you know, uh, cop shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. like from from that, you know. But I can't really, you know, really speak to that. Okay. But um, you know, for for us, you know, we don't really, you know, we don't we don't have those type situations. Let me ask you something: Is there a potential law that is going to stop people on the street who are recording officers doing the arrest? And put the person who's recording at risk of being in criminal action. Yeah, I, I did hear about that. Yeah. Uh, I I personally um, believe that that uh, I, I I believe that's a mistake. Um, that, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Why is because coming even from a police officer's uh, standpoint, you know, we always preach that you know that video camera also can save us. You know, um, you know from us losing our job because, you know, it's in front of us. But it also can hold us accountable, right? So I think in the age um, in which we're in now, because things will be made, you know, um, people are being exposed. And I say people because there are people on this job just like any other job that's not doing what they're supposed to do. And with that being said, it makes me look bad, Mm -hmm. right? And I can't co-sign that. So when you have individuals out in the street, that are recording for the purposes of showing um, um, ill behavior, um, that's a problem. And and, 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 it's, and it's not until now that now that these laws are going to be put into place when people have been exposed. 
for not doing their job properly, you know. So it, it, it's kind of like targeting a certain group of people and infringing on their rights, if you ask me. So that's something I, I, I heard about, but I'm, um, I'm, I'm totally against, you know. And like you said, I feel like if you're an officer who's doing your job properly, I don't think you would have a problem with it. I think it's the officers who aren't doing their job properly who have the biggest problem with it. I don't know. You're an officer on the street. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, someone's recording and it affected the investigation? Not at all. I ha that have that has not been the case for me. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me until, as a human being, when someone actually sticks the phone in your face. Yeah, that's annoying. That's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it's, annoying for anybody. Right. Unless I told you to take a picture of me. Like, why are you right, in my face? Right. You know, mm -hmm. like, you're in my face. And, you know, I, I get why we do it. I understand. Right. I totally understand it. But it can be uh, disruptive and annoying if someone has it in your face. But for the most part, um, it's, it's been, um, it may be 10 cameras. You know, um, that's taking a recording of a police officer in the in the in the line of duty, right. um, where I didn't see them like interrupt, you know, physically interrupt or impede, impede. you know, impede on the um, on the arrest or anything like that. Um, I I think what it does do is just hold people accountable. I don't think anybody likes a camera pointed at them while they're doing a the job. I mean, if I had a camera and I pointed at you all, you probably feel the same way. Like, man, this is very uncomfortable. And I think right. as human beings. Um, doing this job, it could be uncomfortable because we're under the, you know, the, uh, what, what do you call it, that the big brother. You know, right. mm -hmm. you understand what I'm saying? But in the age of, of video and, and, and what's been going on between commu community and the police, there has to be some checks and balances. And I think the community got it right when they say, you know what, I'm recording this because it can go left or right. And too many times it went the wrong way. Mm -hmm. and, and it was other times I'm quite sure it wasn't caught on video. Until we can get things right within the department between community and police. Mm -hmm. um, I think these things um, should continue to happen just as long as like, and, and I say this to um, those that, that, that are out in the street that, that wish to record, there's some type of etiquette that you have to uh, practice in terms of uh, recording. So we won't be here, you know, or won't get there like to, to the point where an officer is, is slapping the phone out your hand or take, or get aggressive with the one that's recording. Cause it's mm -hmm. very important that we have to have people that are recording which I think is okay, um, do a decency and in order that has some type of etiquette. Well, let me ask you something. Can the officer actually take your phone from you while you're recording after, after, or tell you to put it away? Uh, they can tell you to put it away, but th th that's still, that's against your, your rights. You, okay. know, your, you know, if they tell you put away, you still can continue to record. Because trust and know, if you have, as an officer, if you have a recorder on your, on your shirt, on your dashboard, you're still recording. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying. So, so, so th as long as that law is not put into into place, you you are allowed to record. All I ask is that, you know, to do things decent, decent as much as possible. It's not impede on the officer's um job. So I think I'm sorry. Just one thing before you go. I think that's a good consideration, just to be respectful of the space that the officer who's trying to do their job is doing. Absolutely. But Barnetta, what were you about to say? Um, I was gonna say. That actually drove me to, or that just made me think about a good point as to why we are here sitting with a community service officer. Because at the end of the day, officers are people. And although we may have, you know, 
everybody has their own individual reasons why they feel a certain type of way. But still, at the end of the day, these are human beings that have families that put on their pants the same way we do. So it just made me, you know, want to talk more about the community relationships um, that the officers create in um, in your role in that. So, I mean, it's pretty simple. I'm the community relations officer, right? That means relate with the community, right? And how you do that is that you first uh, should, as a community relations officer, should relate in such a way that you understand the community in which you work in. And with Philadelphia being like a city of neighborhoods, you heard of that before, right? That's because we have different different cultures within our our city. You know, we kind of make things work, although divisive at times. We still make things work. And as these officers are working within the community, they have to understand that you have to be, you have to relate with the community. How do you do that? You do that by, um, you know, not just responding to a job when you have a person with a gun or a person with, um, you know, uh, you know, with a knife or any, any type of um, high priority job. Um, One, one, if you continue to do that, then you look at the whole community as such, mm, right? Okay. And in every situation that you go to, you would treat it as such, or at least halfway. And halfway is probably too much too. Mm. So one way you can do these things is, is is get involved with community groups. You don't have to be a community relations officer per title mm-hmm. to be a community relations officer. Okay. At, I'm a community relations officer by title, and I've only been that for maybe two years, maybe. However, I... I I conducted myself as a community relations officer since I got this job, even while I was arresting people for narcotics. And I've arrested hundreds of people for narcotics, homicides, to stealing a bag of chips. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've, I've done that. But I also had opportunities to work with um, young people that I have arrested to get them GEDs, to get them jobs and things of that nature. This stuff is not on record. This is because I do this because I love the people that I work with. And that's another thing. You got to, you got to understand that the communities in which you work in, you're working there, right? You're visiting. Um, folks live in those neighborhoods that you patrol, right? You're not there to hunt. You want to do that, do that on a Saturday when you got off in the mountains. You know, don't come to the uh, neighborhoods if you're not familiar with them especially. And go in there and think that you're going to make a rest, and that's going to make you so, uh, a, a better officer. Um, also, you got to be mindful that as as an officer where where exactly are you going like where exactly um where'd you come from um as an officer i've i I can say honestly that i can relate to uh individuals that i serve and i say serve and i say that with 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 a lot of emphasis you know because oftentimes i think um, officers come in, um, they get this job, they're young, just like me, you want to make, you know, uh, go out there, just like your favorite cop show, you want to, you know, chase cars to the crash, you know what I mean, you want to you wanna get the bad guy, and you want to save, you know, the community, but the truth of the matter is, I've been working 20 plus years, and still some of the same issues exist, however, I made more friends than I did, um, that's more powerful than any person I can ever arrest, right, when you make friends, when you at least try, the community sees that, right? You working it, you working for eight hours. Those folks live there for, for for a lifetime, you know. And some of them, some folks can't get out of that situation. They've been living there for generations, and there's a reason as to why. 
So I say that to say, as an officer, you have to understand the dynamics of 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 a people that are going through some um, some issues. Like in our case, and I just got to be honest, um, you know, um, systemic racism, mm-hmm. gentrification mm-hmm. plays a part in the behaviors of a people. And I know that because I've been working in certain situations or certain, I'm sorry, certain um, districts for a very long time. And I've seen the change within district just with gentrification and what it does to a people, mm-hmm. how it separates people. I've actually mentored young men because they're, you know, uh, men in the neighborhood were either, you know, at times arrested or displaced uh, because of gentrification. And we talk about the economic part of, um, you know, of, of racism. You know, what, what we here in Philadelphia, we have some of the most highest um, uh, jobless rates um, among um, African-Americans. We are 45 percent black here in uh, Philadelphia. Um, as far as the schools, we have some of the worst schools uh, systems here in Philadelphia. You know, we had already, like, that I know of, 15 schools that closed down, primarily in black neighborhoods. They say the key to success is what? Education, right? Exactly. Right? So if the key to success is education, what kind of keys are we handing Mm. over to these young people, right? Does it fit in the door, right? And if it fit in the door when I walk in, am I going to get a job? Mm. So there's a lot of things that are statistically uh, true about um, a group, a race of people that are just happen to be black, that we have, that have to, I say I because I also had to deal with that, that we have to struggle with, right? Yeah. And racism activates itself in every part and every facet of our life. So if you have an idea what racism is, first of all, and understand who are the people that are affected by it the most, then you might have an idea or at least some, you may empathize a little bit better with people that are going through it. Right. I do because I was that <laughs> I was growing up in Brooklyn, New York. So I know what that looks like. Right. I can go against the community because I essentially go against myself. If I were to go against the community, I keep that in mind every single time. So the needs aren't um, heavily police a community. That's not necessarily the needs. You know, we don't need that many soldiers. You know, we need servants out there. We need people that's going to provide jobs. We need pe- if you provide these things like any other group has. Right. And, and abundance. If you provide these things, then these behaviors will tend to uh, uh, decrease right. and dissipate. So, so with that being said, I say to the uh, those that you know want to be officers, right, or, or aspire to be officers, to pick up that mindset of a community relations officer. You don't have to have the title, but with that being said, you have to do some um, some some culture digging some understanding of a people and where we come from. And, and, and I, I would even suggest, even put it out there, that that um, it, I don't see that happening much. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening as much as I believe it can be. And that's just, I'm speaking for the world. I'm not just speaking for the police department. I, I, think, I think it should happen um, within the department, right? I think we should, you know, do a little bit more. Uh, digging and soul searching within ourselves. Um, community relations is not something that, you know, it's great to throw out a ball. It's great to throw out, you know, jump ropes. It's great to do all these initiatives. And believe me, I did it all. I did it all. I, I remember years ago um, in Powell when uh, Fox 29 was doing these uh, features right. at Powell Centers. And I had about three of them. 
it it was crazy. I was getting jealous of myself. Like <laughs> like see myself on Fox Twenty Nine, and I was like, man, this is awesome, man. We doing this, you know, we doing it for the department. We doing it for community. Everything's gonna be all right. My people's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be, you know, kumbaya. Everybody together. But what I realized was, you know, those things wasn't the things that or the essence of being successful. Right, yeah. playing basketball for a minute, we go out and do these things, right, and everybody be happy. We take pictures, but then the problems still start, right. And then on the weekend, you have a few shootings here and there, right. Mm -hmm. And then you have Power Ninety Nine on another station come and they do a peace rally and peace rally and peace rally and peace rally, time after time after time again. And I started to think, like you know, what what is it that the community really needs, right? Well. If 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 you if you find out the needs of the community, there's some faces that may be stopping the community from being successful, and that could be kind of like a uh, that could be like a a slippery slope mm -hmm. when you go in there. But I I always say, and we can talk on forever about that, but I always say that the officers should take some time and understand the culture and the nuances of. Uh, you know, just Philadelphia in and of itself and understand that, you know, this town is, is, is what we used to call a chocolate city. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, um, just with the discussion, um, I wanted to ask, what is the, um, I mean, I like a lot of things that you said. One of the main things that you said that I really related to was that the community officers need to be in the community. And I know at some places or some neighborhoods, there are officers that know the community very well. Like, they know the guys that are standing on the corner in front of the corner store. They know them. They know the family that's at the end of the block that's lived there for a very long time. But what do you think would be the 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 best way for the community to interact with police officers? Yeah. Um, I'm a community liaison officer in uh, the 5th District, Roxborough, right? Um, predominantly white neighborhood. I'm the first African-American uh, community relations officer in Roxborough. What I see different is, you know, our approach to the black community versus the white community is, is a little bit different. Um, in that when we approach the black community, it seems as if we're trying to right the wrong, right? Like something's been done, right? We have to dispatch officers in certain communities uh, to do outreaches, right, to bridge the gap. While with the white community, it seems as if, you know, whenever I'm doing something, with the community is more so like we're having a party, right? We're uh, honoring um, officers. You know, it's fun for you all to be here, um, and it's and 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 it's no nothing to apologize for, mm -hmm. right? And it's just a, a contrast between the two. And I can say that honestly because you know I I served in both communities, right? As community relations, right? Um, and I can say that. Within the white community, um, a lot of times, we the, the community, if they have an issue uh, with neighbor dispute um, or, 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 or any um, disruptiveness in, in the community, they'll call the captain. They'll call, they'll email the captain. They'll call the lieutenant. 
they'll call me. <laughs> you know, um, some might even have my cell phone number. Call me on the weekend. But they know who to reach, right? Mm-hmm. They know who to reach. Uh, and that's that's before they call 911, right? So I think with I, I see the difference within the you know black community. That does happen from time to time. But I think it should happen even more so. And why I say that is because, you know, everyone should know the captain, right, in their district. Everyone should know the community relations officer in the district and the community um, the community team and also the lieutenants. They should know every rank and file within the community. And they should, and, and they should call. But I'll say this. I understand where you're coming from, yeah, but is it – who is it that – is expected to have the outreach. Is it the people who need the service or the people who are giving the service? To me, it seems like officers need to make their presence known and their titles known more so that way we are aware. Because growing up, I never knew about community outreach. I never knew about having a captain's number. So if you ever had a conflict that you could have them deal with it or having a captain supervise a situation that you didn't feel comfortable with or requesting a captain. So is it up to the police officer to make us aware or is it up to us to become informed on our own both i i would even say coming from um the community um that you know we you know that saying it got to do better we really do we really got to step up and do better and we we as a community i keep saying i refer to myself as we because i'm still part of the community definitely (laughs) you know know what i'm saying so i i think is i know it's important it's imperative that people reach out to the community don't wait until something goes wrong right because that's when the phone lines will just be going crazy and whatnot and and they'll start blocking you <laughs> i'm just right. playing yeah. but um just call on the whim and just ask who the captain is you yeah. know just sit, you know announce yourself you know and let that captain know that you live in their neighborhood right, right. and the community in which they're supposed to protect and serve along with the um, officers now i would say um with that being said i get what you're saying um, but there are PSA meetings that we do have, and they mm-hmm. public service meetings, right? And these are meetings that are conducted by typically civic groups or special interest groups like within the um, community, right? Um, you need to find those uh, community groups out um, as well, and it's more than likely there will be a uh, – there should be a lieutenant assigned to those PSAs, and you can meet that lieutenant at those PSAs, but you got to go on their website, whatever website is afforded to them, public website, within your district, right? If not, you can call the district and speak to the community relations officer, and that community relations officer will be more than happy to let you know where those PSA meetings are, um, are, are the dates, time, and the location. Okay. That's great information. I'm glad you said that because it's a few, as John mentioned, he said as he was growing up, he did not know about these things. But now, John, you grown. So right. you need to go every child <laughs> and see where those uh, where those meetings are being taken place. And, you know, I'll take account for myself as well. I will do the same because as a citizen of North Philadelphia, I knew exactly where to go. And as that neighborhood is changing um, as we are speaking, <laughs> turning into Templetown, um, now that I'm in a different area, I need to find out what's going on and how I can be a part of that conversation. Because at the time when I was in Temple's area or in North Philadelphia, which is now considered Templetown, it was a, a conversation around, like the officer mentioned, something has gone wrong. 
they were trying to stop the community from taking down William Penn High School. Mm-hmm. But as we see with all of those community engagements and, and conversations, we still wasn't able to save that building for the community. And so those conversations are continually happening around us. And I think that if we all put our ears to the streets, which is the terminology I like to use because we have cops on the streets. So if we have our ears to the streets as to what they are doing and how they are helping us as a community, because it has to be noted, right, that they're helping the community. So if we hold them accountable, as a lot of people want to hold their politicians accountable, Mm -hmm. we need to do the same thing because our tax dollars pays for their salaries. Absolutely. And, And it was interesting because I could tell you, I probably heard that in the 5th District, more than I ever did in my career. Wow. My tax pay my tax taxes pay your salary. You know, I've heard that uh, you know, numerous times. Do I take it personal? No, because guess what? I pay taxes too, so I must be paying my own salary, <laughs> right? Yes. So but I get it. And, and it's just like I said, the neighborhoods are different, uh, the nuances are different, the culture's different. Um and, and I wanna speak to that, like as far as Temple Town, so called Temple Town, which they said they wasn't gonna do, um, but you see it's um taking its place um there 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 is a a watchdog group i believe i don't know the name of them Mm -hmm. but as a result of their efforts they were able at least to delay the building of a stadium football stadium the navy's going to put smack dab like in a residential area when at one time i think there was a plan to put it just outside of philadelphia but they didn't want that you know because you know what it is right and um but because of that you know, those people would actually delay that. But that's powerful. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful for right now. Yes. You know, for that group to do uh, such a thing. But yes. not too many people within that neighborhood actually either knew about it or didn't really think it was an issue. Mm. You know, um, because you don't have a lot of homeowners um, in that area as much now. And that's why they're getting the property swept, you know, taken from up under them. Mm. You know what I mean? Because once you start to gentrify an area, now the tax base goes up, and then the next thing, the rent goes up, can't afford that, you know. And then next thing you know, you're out of there, and it's, it's now like a, a student center or whatever. So, mm-hmm. But, right. yeah, but there are, there was a watchdog group that still exists, although mm-hmm. the, the, the gentrification taking part, they didn't take flight, and they're still fighting. But I don't know how long it's going to last as long as people don't know about it and take the responsibility to call the district, to express your concerns about you know what's going on at least at least attend these meetings and know what's going on in your neighborhood yeah definitely yeah um one thing i want to go back to and talk about is earlier you were expressing how and i think you touched on it but didn't fully go into full effect is just the education of police who are doing community outreach and knowing about cultures and everything one thing i noticed is the demographic of police officers in certain communities is not the same as the demographic as they're working with and that's a huge problem because a lot of times those groups are targeted um what i want to talk about today is what training do they give these officers i watched uh the central park five movie as you know (laughs) Do you know which movie? Oh, yes, indeed. I watched it. Yeah, it's insane. And you heard how the lawyer was talking about this demographic. Yeah. Uh, has that changed? Yeah. Um, I would say uh, yes. 
Yes. Uh, I, 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 I would say yes. However, an individual is going to think as such. Right? right. And they're governed by the way in which they grew up. So if that type of behavior, right, that incendiary behavior, that racist type behavior is still going to be embedded in that person. And the sad part is, is that, you know, and that's everywhere. You know, you have, there's a veneer yeah. that can you know, kind of find its way around the individual. And not only that, although there's a certain demographic of, of officers out there more than ever than it was before, that's serving a, a community that's different, there's still a lot of black officers who I believe, right, just by just by essentially being in the presence of other officers could perhaps, you know, hold them accountable. I'm not saying all of them, but we know that 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 does exist somewhere. Um, but as far as training is concerned, there is no insensitivity type training that I'm aware of. Right. Or that I've uh, as far as race is concerned, because I think race is something that, you know, is incinerate itself to have a conversation. I don't have a problem having a conversation with it. Because right. you're going to face it one way or the other. Exactly. You know what I mean? Let's talk about it now, right? But we do have some sort of training, like, you know, with, like, certain groups, like uh, seniors. Like, I have the, the uh, CIT training with the TASER training. Okay. We have training as far as, like, how we engage senior citizens. Um, we have training on how to gauge, engage um, uh, vets. Right. Because these are just two groups that could be, you know, um, you know, vets could be with the PTSD, right? Yeah. You know, we have to be able to engage them. But we also want to empathize. <laughs> we want to empathize with them as well. And that's the purpose of these classes. Also with senior citizens. You know, you know, I, I know when I get old, I'm, a, I'm, I'm already kind of grouchy. Right. You know what I'm saying? So when I get older, you know what I mean? You ain't going to be able to tell me nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm kidding you all, please. So we have those. But as far as race is concerned, it doesn't exist. What does exist, it seems... When something after something happens, and you all know about this, uh, the plane uh, view uh, project, um, as late as and, and, and it's out there, yeah, where officers putting this uh, racial um, uh, comments on uh, Facebook on their Facebook pages, right? I'm quite sure uh, they just like those that Starbucks uh, when they when that situation happened at that time after the fact. They'll have some insensitivity. Y'all know this how it works. Yeah. Every time something it happens after the fact, you know, as if it doesn't exist. So my thing is this, right? With that being said, have officers ever thought about going out themselves and getting the education and just coming up with like setting up groups within themselves? Because myself and organization, if I didn't have a training, we can seek other trainings that would fit my job description. Like, I go to Better K-Care. I can go to United Way. I have other avenues to get that training on, let's say, children who deal with trauma. What about police officers dealing with different cultures and different trauma situations in the community that they'll face? Because they need to know these things in order to do effective policing. Right. That would be a lot of self-examination. And I would suggest that It'd be one. It would be one group more than the other group that would have to do this training. Right. And with that being said, I think universally, um, for the most part, people don't want to believe that racism exists. Right. And that's the greatest trick that racism ever pulled was to to actually convince the world that it does not exist. 
Yeah. And so when you do that and you have that element within the mind, it's not people are not going to want to seek like say that I'm I'm sick. You know what I mean? That's right. a, that's sick. That's a mental illness to me. Racism. And yeah. and for somebody to say that, they're going to have to admit first that they're sick. That's like that's like an alcoholic. You know what I'm saying? It's like denial. <laughs> it's um one of the things that I say it's a disease it's a disease a disease is a disease you're not at ease right. within yourself and right. um yes it is yeah so so for, so for somebody to say yo go fix yourself you know and it's bad enough like officers like we go through a great deal of stress you know whether black or white whatever the case may be I can speak for um just off the, like some of the stresses that we see like when we going to a job right that nobody else would go to. Everybody's running from. Yeah, exactly. Right? So we deal with stress on the street. We deal with stresses like everybody else do. You know what I mean? Um, For the most part, I'm speaking like a percentage now. I'm not speaking the whole thing. But when we deal with that kind of stuff, you know, we internalize it, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. You know, I don't know if you all heard, like in New York, you had about four four officers mm-hmm. that had made I think four officers committed suicide, and then you had in D.C. I think there was at least one, and then in Philadelphia there was something that just happened just recently. Um, and I've always said like you know mental illness among the department is 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 is, is like taboo, you mm-hmm. know. And but the statistics show like yo this is real because statistics show that the police officers, no matter where you at, is among the highest in terms of uh, suicide rate. Oh, wow. And it's always been that way. But we don't really necessarily talk much about that because we got this Superman complex, right? Yeah. And I'm supposed to be this way because I'm supposed to save the community. And I would even suggest that some officers may re- may react because they may need some help. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that as a racist act, but it could just be simply because they're, they're going through a mental turmoil and it's unresolved. So when they get to work, they bring that to work. And it becomes like like a, a a forest fire. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And whoever's in my way is gonna burn. Yeah. You know, it's a dangerous thing to play with. But in all fairness, there are a lot of great officers. There are a lot of great officers who do are Superman in a sense. They go out there and like yourself, you go out there and you fight the fights and you have these discussions and you reach out to the community as much as you can. I can speak to my own experience dealing with different situations in the school setting that I've resourced you for, and you've been front of the line, like, all right, let me help this family out as much as I can. And there's a lot of great officers out there. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, what can we do or how can we get started with getting them this training? Do we have to lobby? Do we have to, the officers just have to speak up like this is necessary for not just this group, but mm-hmm. all of us to have these trainings so that way we can be at our best and help the community. Because I guarantee even some races want to help. Have you ever seen a movie crash? Yes. In a situation of emergency, the natural instinct is to help. Mm-hmm. And it's not about color of skin at that time. It's about helping them. So even if they are racist, they do want to help to some capacity, not all capacity. They do limit in a lot of respects, but at some capacity, they want to help. So just giving them the training and helping them be more helpful to the community and holding them accountable to what they do within these communities. I just wanted to piggyback on something that you just said, John, because it just made me think that um, we all want to be treated human. 
right? Even when we go into our many different jobs out here, if we are dealing with whatever we are dealing with at our jobs, that can be reflective on our families, on the people that we encounter at the coffee houses, and the people that we encounter getting our food. But all of this is um, all the way around. We want to feel whole within the society that we are in. We understand that a lot of times we work in silos, but we live in a in a in a place where everybody is in groups. Yes. Everybody feeds off of each other in groups. So um, I just wanted to add that because that's very important. And to me, it's just very important to see more community officers around, to see more officers in our neighborhoods that want to listen to what we are saying and listen with your heart and not your badge, I guess, per se. I definitely agree to that. Yeah, I, I agree too. And I just want to be clear on... um you know why why I guess I'm so heavy on um you know talk about racism and no but and, it has to be addressed yeah it, it does have to be addressed uh, and and that's just me that's who I am um who I what I do is be a police officer that's what I do but who I am is black and I shouldn't have to choose right exactly. when it comes to these type of topics and I'm not going to choose right and I still can have the integrity about being a police officer I'm not anti-police officer. My son is a police officer. He just became a police officer, right? But nonetheless, I could tell you about the other side when he was, like, roughed up about, you know, a few years ago by a sergeant in the Philadelphia Police Department. We talk about both sides. Let's talk about it all. Um, I, there is a lot of officers that's doing really, really well, and I think we all know that. You know, you see the videos, uh, Facebook, um, Instagram. You see, you see a lot of those videos. But right. we also know them there in our families. They're, exactly. Because mm -hmm. we're in Philadelphia. You can't run across nobody that don't know a cop or related to one. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. I mean, and and we all know that. I think we all know that. And I don't want to romanticize that, that all officers, you know, aren't bad. All officers are great. We all know officers, they're doing great things. I, I think we all know that. You know what I mean? And I, and I know that even the community knows you know, officers that are out there that are really doing a great job. I, I had a whole list of them. As a matter of fact, today we were actually uh, doing an um, initiative um, started by this a Marine. I can't remember his name um, in California. Um, he, at least he took it over. And it started out with, like, four people just packing care packages for, like, police officers and fire department and armed forces. And we packed probably at least 7,000 packages <laughs> with – it was police – and community, whoever signed up was able to do that. And we was in there for about at least three, four hours hmm. packing. And we're going to distribute those out to the to, to the officers, which I think is a great deal. My 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 brother's a cop. My godfather's a, a cop. Uncle slash uncle is a cop, a retired sergeant in, in the New York Police Department. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know people. I got friends that are police officers. So I, we all know that there's good officers they're our family they're our friends they're our neighbors right but in order for us to like kind of come on this one like one like what you call blue line like blue line or whatever we have to make sure that everybody that's standing on that blue line understands everybody standing on that blue line right and that me being as a black man right although i'm there for you and you there for me matter of fact when i get my behind kick the first officer that I seen was white which is great, and I'm going to do the same for you. 
But if a white officer, right, uh, violates an African-American male, right, that's not good for me. That's not good for the officers because if it mattered, then you wouldn't treat people like that because when you treat people like that, now those people are against me because how how you treated them. I don't like that. And 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 and, and the bottom line is you, man. It, it, the bottom line is how you treating a people or how you view a people and how you govern yourself when you are uh, patrolling that area. And I have a, and I have an issue I take issue with that. And that goes to what you're saying in regards to training, right? I I believe that, you know, if you you have a community that puts in their mind like you know what maybe we can get help for these officers maybe that's maybe that's what it is they bugging but maybe we can call upon a group you know what i'm saying not to watch over them but to help them out you know what i mean because i believe a community that's going through all kinds of disarray right now it's hard for them to go get help like for somebody like right from the door you know what i'm saying the police department i, I think it's hard because yeah. we you know black community we, we still trying to figure out you know a lot of stuff that's going on with us but if you can have somebody constantly say you know what let's bring somebody in because sometimes as an officer when we going to work going back and forth we may not get that we yeah. may not get that training you know what i'm saying because we're so busy being soldiers right so i think that would be like you know a, a great suggestion if somebody would say you know what let's let's look out and have a group come in and perhaps offer some counseling or something like that yeah you know, I- training I think the counseling and definitely having like people just come in and say, I'm skilled in this aspect of dealing with people. Let me teach you how to work with this group of people is necessary in the police department. There's so many groups that are becoming marginalized and there's so many groups that have their rights taken away from them. And that's why this podcast is important right now. So that way we can get the communication out there and start having these discussions and broaden this discussion for other people who have like minds like us in this aspect. Um, Let's talk about juveniles. I want to talk on, you know how you see those group of teens who are walking down the street and they, what was that, knockout challenge? Yep. So the knockout challenge is something that affects every community. You just walk down the street and somebody runs up on you and knocks you out. What should these youth know will happen to them if they conduct themselves in this way or this group think of let's create crimes or misbehave in this way? What are the consequences for that? <laughs> like fighting on trains and stuff. Get arrested, um, at the very least. Um, you can get arrested. Um, you can get hurt. Yeah. And that's before the police get there. Because um, I think, I, I know what's happening, like, in these communities. When people see what's going on with these young people doing this, um, rec- you know, this reckless behavior. Um, I, I believe that, you know, before the summer's out, you know, one of these young people going to get, um, hurt or even killed because somebody's not a grown up not going to have it, and and that's sad to say, but that's what I that's what I feel about that as far as how the community may respond to that. It's a shame because a lot of these young people that are out there uh, are so misguided, you know. And I kind of get tired of hearing, you know, it's the parents' fault. How long have I been saying that? Right. Year after year after year, and usually the people that saying that. Are people that don't want to work with children. Hmm. 
So when people ask me, like, officer, why do you work with children so much? They so bad. I said, because I don't want them to turn out to be like you. You keep asking me that question. <laughs> you're an adult. And you're, <laughs> you get on my nerves. You act like a 10-year-old at times. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, you know what? I, I work with young people because I have an opportunity to at least mold them, and they need it. And I don't spend time, you know, although they could be a pain in my butt. Sometimes you want to smack, ring, you know what I'm saying? That That's true. It's no, I don't feel no different than you do when the kid is very disrespectful. But what I do know is that for years I had opportunities to work with bad A kids, as they say, and gain their respect. Because there's something that was lacking, and that was love, right, and guidance. Did I? Was it a hard way to come? I could tell you it was. It was a hard way to come, but guess what? I came just as hard. You right. know. So with that being said, most in my success over my 20 years, I like it. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm in the win column still. But I would say, with as far as the police are concerned, it everybody knows about it in the department. We're implementing. Uh, you know, the, uh, what you call it, the uh, curfew laws. i seen it posted South Street because that's a big problem down there with juveniles. Uh, we posted up in Roxborough, believe it or not, in, in Roxborough, that was a pressing issue, right? It was a pressing issue. It was pretty bad the la- in, in the last couple of years. It was like one of our top priorities. And and this summer's still coming, you know. Um, it hasn't been as bad. But, yes, we enforce our curfews as well. What's the so, curfew loss for anybody who doesn't know? Curfew loss. You know what? I don't. I wish I had that with me. Can you hit that up for me? While we're looking that up, yeah. we'll come back to that right now. Um, what I will say is uh, a lot of times with these teenagers, I see a lot of them going out and writing – like, you know, graffitiing and everything on the walls, a lot of times they're standing on these corners. Um, for these teenagers who are, like, loitering and graffitiing or destroying property, what are the consequences for that? Yeah. So, um, actually, I guess some people would, would know this, but there is a fine. Um, but the, for vandalism, there, there, uh, you can get arrested for that, too, um, you know, with a fine. Yeah. Um, so I think some people don't, you know, realize that because they feel like they can bust a window out and so they mad. Right. And nothing happens, but you can be arrested for vandalism. So the curfew, just an update on the curfew times. So on the weekdays, that's Sunday through Thursday, the children over the age of 13 must be in the house by 10.30 p.m. And on weekdays, Friday and Saturday, 12 a.m. or midnight is the time that uh, children over the ages of 13 need to be in the house. Now, on weekdays for children under the age of 13, Sunday through Thursday, they need to be in the house at 9.30 p.m. And on weekends, Friday and Saturday, 10 p.m. And the police will urgently force this curfew law during the summer. So that means get you behind in the house. That's right. And you're hanging out too late. Yeah, what comes with that is also fines that, uh, you know, you cert- the young person ain't certainly pay for. Right, the it, parents. It, yeah, the parent and no guardian is, is going to uh, subject to that. So I would say this. 
while I do get tired of hearing, I you know, um, you know, where the parents at, because I say this from a standpoint, like if a child is standing in the middle of the street, you're not going to say with a parent at, go save the damn child. Excuse right. me. But at the same time, um, I know that there's some parents that should be held accountable for the actions of their child. And that being one of them, you know, I, I, I know here in Roxborough, the parent used to drop the children off at a spot that was very, very, um, kids be they, they were just disrupted it was our worst place and the parents would drop them off and leave them there for hours and come pick them up you know when, when they get ready in this one little general area mm-hmm. right i'm like what do you think your child is doing the whole time like it's it's, it's just department stores around here right and they're, they're in the department store disrupting the public is what mm-hmm. they're doing and that's the parent you know <laughs> so yeah, we. I mean, parents gotta do better, but you know, when something like you know extended circumstances, man, you know, you gotta step in for that child because we're a village, right? You're supposed to raise the village up. Exactly. All right. mm-hmm. So, if a child's arrested, what is the step that the parent needs to take, or the child? What rights to the child know that they have? Well, there, 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 there is a certain amount of time. Uh, forgive me, I don't have you know that with me right now, but there is a certain amount of time when the um, juvenile is taken into custody that the officer has to um, contact a parent and a guardian, right? And then there's a certain amount of time that that parent, um, you know, will, you know, is to come and, and at some point pick the child up, depending upon, the, um, you know, the crime. But more often than not, you know, the crime, is, is a crime when the, the, the adult is going to pick that child up, you know, within hours of them committing said crime. Yeah. Um, but, again, that, that – um, child must or that you know student what have you or juvenile must if not if if they don't have their id and a lot of them don't carry their id at least uh speak clear and don't lie about your information because that delays your time right so and and that's something that we experience from time to time when these young people are um you know trained in a way that you need to lie but you ain't do nothing yet. That's why I always say you ain't do nothing yet, right? But, and I get it. You, you know, your homie said don't give up your government and all that kind of stuff. But you try and get yourself out of trouble. Your your homie's not here, so make sure that you know that that individual. Like you know, you do something wrong, just make sure you give them, give them the correct information so you don't delay your process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. What age should you have an ID and carry it? What's the law for carrying ID out on the street? And the reason why I ask this is because I personally know the information and the importance of carrying your ID at all times, but I think it's important for us to convey how important it is to have your ID. Yeah, I, I would say if you have an ID, if you're issued an ID, carry it. Right. I say carry it at all times. And I think, um, it's, I would say, I, I would even, like, my son goes to uh, middle school. Right, sixth grade, he was issued an ID. Right, if you look, <laughs> he grew. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he a little bit tall. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and to the doctor the other day, he's like, man, he he he's he's in ninety five percentile. Right, he grew he grew a lot. And I looked at him, said, yeah, he eating a lot too. And I looked at him like, you know, if I'm looking at this young man, right, mm-hmm. and he's able to walk the streets. As the curfew says, he's able to walk the streets, and they're being stopped because of their behavior and because you know you have mad police in those areas, right? Because of it, I would like to have my son carry his ID, mm-hmm. right? 
so he can immediately be identified as who he is. You know what I mean? Because I think it's just a lot of negative things could happen and brew in the midst of the chaos. And then you have police being dispatched there. And you have like this, 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 um, this mental, I don't know, just this mental fire that just could just like bust into a bomb. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because those things could happen. I'd rather have him have at least his ID. And I've always said that. Yeah. I've always said that. Whenever I stopped the vehicle, for, for years I've said that. If you have an ID, carry it. If you're able to get one, get one. You know? Um, again, you don't want to stop your process. Once, you, once you're identified, that officer, and it does a good service to the officer. If you have ID, you know, the officer knows that that's who you are. I'm going to be honest with you. When the, when the gentleman showed me his ID when I pulled him over, I gave him a hug. I think I let him go. I think he ran like a couple stop signs. Like, man, I'm proud of you. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Just be careful. I'm just proud that you're carrying your ID. Right. And we're able to identify you, man. So that's that's most important, man, because it doesn't happen as often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what is the effect? Like, what are, what is the ramifications of not carrying your ID? That was your question. No, I was going to say, I was going to answer it. Like, I'm just... Just, you know, the professional here. But, no, I was going to say that they have to put you in custody until they can identify you. If they don't have it, then for them, you are John Doe. And I don't know your age. And I don't know your parents. And I don't know who you are or where you come from. So, now, my only way to make sure of that is to hold you in custody. Now, so let, in the now let, let, let me get in there a little bit. You, All right. You, you're almost right. Deal. No, seriously. Okay. No, for real. Okay. You are. Because yeah. that has happened. Um, I was actually involved in an auto accident. Gentleman didn't have his ID, right? <clears throat> uh, sergeant um, took him out of the car mm-hmm. and put him, placed him in his vehicle because he kept giving him the wrong ID. There's certain ways that officers, we've been doing this for a long time. Maybe we could flip and bounce it. Um, and you flipping and bouncing, we like, nah, you lying, right? And it's up to the officer. It depends on what they're getting stopped for, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not that serious, it's like, man, can we, you know, we'll stop lying. You know what I mean? There's no reason for you to lie. Um but if if in a lot of times you know it's unfortunate you know we get shootings here in Philly you know it, it's just a bad a bad thing bad situation we had like this summer and you get stopped because you fit the flash right and we got the right to do that if you fit the flash and you don't have any ID oh we we're taking you into custody not you not not arrested but what you are you're taken into custody for um, identification purposes. And that's to help you out, like to a certain degree. So it's it's not it behooves you, like to tell pe like to tell us, like your information and tell it correctly if you don't have an ID, because you don't know what could be going on. There's a lot that go on in Philly. Mm-hmm. You know, if we got to stop somebody, we gon' we gonna stop you, um, because you may again fit the flash of somebody that may have shot somebody or committed a crime. So. It's best for you to, um, you know, identify um, yourself as such. If not, that is possible. You could be taken in for um, identification purposes. Right. Um, one thing I was hoping to also look for is an answer on um, if you are taken into custody, what happens then? Like, can they fingerprint you? Do they question you? What are the steps once you're taken into custody? If, and how long of a time can they hold you without an ID? If I'm not sure at the time. Okay. However, you can be held until your ID. What happens is you you know, you're taken in and 
you, you fingerprint it. Yeah. Because we don't know who you are. And you identify in, in, in that way. You know? Yeah. Um, a lot of times what happens is people, do, you know, they kind of wake up from um, their amnesia. Then <laughs> <laughs> they, they know their name. Then they know their name. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? It's actually funny to me, man, because I get it. But um, most of the time, people, like, kind of wake up from that and, you know, give you the right information. Yeah. Um, one other question I had was about being arrested. And once you're arrested and in the system and went through the whole process and everything, and they give you a record and everything, how does that impact your future? And how can you get help from the police department in remedying your record? Um, well, I think you all know that when you commit a crime and you, you know, you, you know, you get arrested and you serve time for that said crime, um, your punishment is not over, right? If you're not done with the parole and probation, um, um, situation, um, which actually doesn't prove to work. Uh, 100%. I don't know if you know that. They did studies about that. Um, nonetheless, you may have, you know, taken, you know, the rights away to, you know, to vote. Um, and while some jobs say they won't hire, well, some jobs say they won't hire, like, you know, criminals and things of that nature on different levels, some that say they won't, I mean, they will, still won't. Yeah, you know it's very difficult for people to get jobs after this ha- after this happened, and this is supposed to be a reform system. How's right. that reform if I can't, you know, be the person that you know, uh, you know that you actually made me to be ready to be successful, right, in society? So it's very damaging to those. Why I say that because I have family members that that suffer through that. I know friends that suffer through that 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 went through you know serve time, right, and it's almost like due process. You know they got to serve time again, and now what? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think that person is going to do? And go right back to what they used to doing because they have not gotten a chance or a second chance, right? Right. The land of the free, right? right? So there are programs that um, I that the police department. Uh, a friend of mine, um, you know, he he's no longer with the police department. His name is um, you know, uh, Officer Stewart. Um, Greg Stewart, he's no longer with, again, with the police department. He's with the uh, DA's office, I believe, because he's done some amazing things while he was a police officer. And what he did was he got together some very important people, and they did a program where they were able to hire people on the spot in the hood, so-called hood. I don't like calling it the hood, but in the neighborhoods, and interviewed them in different locations. And they were able to obtain jobs, like like thorough jobs. But he put it out there on the platform to do so. Um, I think that's something that you ought to look for. I'm not sure the name of it, but I'm sure they're going to run that again. That's what I do know about uh, the police department um, has done prior um, through his efforts. Um, anything else, i tell you this. Like myself, there's a lot of officers that are really co-signed. And there's some guys out there that's been up top, as they say, that's been incarcerated, that's gotten jobs because there's officers like myself and like a lot of other officers. Like I know a lot of power officers I work with that actually gave references to those um, officers. So it behooves, like even some of the guys that, 
you know, know officers that are pretty cool. Yeah. You know, that they can talk to. They had that conversation, you know, with them. Yeah, they had that conversation with them, man. Um, but any other, um, you know, jobs, I mean, any other thing, you know, efforts like that, I would say to reach out to the DA's office or even the public defender's office. For, mm-hmm. like, uh, for instance, like an expungement um, uh, program of some sort. Um, I had a question while you were speaking. Can a officer, can a civilian be an officer if they have committed a crime? It depends on the level of crime, but if you can committed a, a a felony, no. Um, the they they're very very um. Let me just say this: whatever is the least amount that you can do, you still hold, held under scrutiny, because it still has to go through a process of background check, right? And you, and it's still a competitive field. So if it's a thousand applicants, and you just have a little something on your record. And they're only hiring like three hundred officers, then that's an easy you're easy you know, much more easy to remove than anybody else. That's pretty easy. So I would have to say is as clean as you can be. Um anything outside of that, you know, um I would have to say that say no if it's high and if it's low, you leave it in the hands of the uh, process. And I wouldn't trust you know, I wouldn't trust that too much. Yeah, I have another question, and this is about gun law. And the reason why I think it's important is knowing your rights when care- possessing a weapon. And I know a lot of teens and a lot of people who live in households have guns in their house or guns in their vehicles. What is the law in regards to that? Like, can you have your gun in your vehicle? Can you have a possession of a gun in your home? And what would be okay for you to have a gun like how is it okay for you to have a gun a legal or gun. even on the streets mm-hmm. um first you have to go through a process you have to uh, register um in order to have a permit to carry yes right um once you do that it is a process um you know and you are able to purchase now a gun right and you're able to carry it we Pennsylvania is an open carry state, except for Philadelphia. Any anywhere outside of believe it or not, anywhere outside of Philadelphia, you can carry your weapon outside your outermost garment, uh, except for Philadelphia. Right, wow. is is what it is. Um, but you are allowed to have a weapon inside your house as long as it's legal, right? But you don't have a you don't have to have a permit to carry to have a gun in your house because you have the right to bear arms. You're protected by your rights to do so. The Constitution protects you. To do that right but in order to carry one you better have a register uh you better be um registered and not only that you better make sure that it's valid because some some they they expire as well yeah. and there's been folks that actually got arrested because they allowed their um yeah license to expire i never thought about that yeah what about um in your vehicle can you carry a p- possess a gun in your vehicle without a permit or do you have to have a permit for your vehicle um you know, I look at that because I I believe that you don't have to because you you are allowed to purchase weapons. Yeah. Um, but it's how you carry it, okay. right? They have to it has to be separate, right? It has to be separate. Um, you know. And, and you mean the the clip and, has right. to be separate from the, the ammunition okay. has to be separate from the um the um the weapon. And there's other laws that I would suggest you all look you know look that up before you know don't just take 
you know, all what I'm saying to you. Um, because there's some things I'm sure that I'm, I'm missing out. Forgive me for that. That's cool. Um, but it also, just it, it, for safety purposes as well, when you have a um, a weapon and you have a right, and you have a uh, uh, registration, you know, the license to carry. Mm-hmm. When you stop by a police officer, there's certain things that you have to do, and you have to let the officer first know that you do have a license to carry and that you do have your weapon on you, right? And you don't reach for your weapon, right? And the officer reaches for the weapon just to make sure it's safe and clear. Let that officer do so. And that's something I have to put out there because some people don't think or believe that they got to let the officer know that they have a license to carry. I suggest that you let the officer know they have a license to carry because if an officer, you know, walks up on that, we don't know, you know, who you are. We see a bulge, you know, sticking out, and we see that it's a gun. You know, we just think, you know, nothing else but, you know, you have a, perhaps a legal, a legal gun because you never told the officer that you have a license to carry and that you, in fact, have a gun on you. And you get all of this information once you actually purchase a gun and get your permit. They tell you what your steps are as to how to approach a police officer or what to do when a police officer approaches you. So if you are going through the proper channels to get your weapon, then you would know this information, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, they'll, they'll tell you. Do pawn shops tell you this type of information? Okay. I mean, Should they tell you? Um, I haven't point? been to a pawn shop up here. But I know where I was living at down south. They definitely tell you. Now that that's just the, that's just that's just to purchase a weapon, right? Yeah. But we're talking about a license to carry. You can obtain a license to carry, and you don't ever have to purchase a weapon. But you will, you will have, uh, you will be informed on what the do's and don'ts. You know, um, as if you do have a weapon. Okay. So you'll get that. You know, whatever, because you you know you could buy. A, a weapon off of your neighbor. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I definitely want to take this to Throwback Thursdays. Um, <laughs> right. So <laughs> what we're going to do is back in my day. And back in my day, we're going to talk about an injustice, a moment of injustice that we've experienced and a moment of justice from the police because I think we need to have that balance. Indeed. Um, so I'll start it off. A moment of injustice that I've experienced was one time I was walking down the street and I frequently in the middle of the hood because that's where my friends are. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm frequently there. So I've been stopped by the police at least 10 times as I was walking. This police officer, two officers on one side of the gate, stopped me and say, stop right there. I come up to them and say, what am I doing wrong? They say, no, go to this officer. I walk over to the other officer, and as I'm walking over to him, he charges me and tackles me. I get arrested, and they say, where's your ID? Start throwing all my stuff everywhere until they get to my ID. Situations like that should never happen because, one, I didn't come into crime. They didn't question me. They didn't even tell me why they were putting me in handcuffs or anything. And that was the moment of injustice that I personally experienced that I felt like wasn't right. Then they find out that I'm not a criminal and they didn't realize that I personally know somebody who works in the police department. Like I have, of course, everybody has family and friends who work in the police department. And when I spoke to somebody who worked in dispatch, they told me they weren't looking for a person in their area that looked like you because I described what I had on. They were looking for a Caucasian. 
of light skin who was in that area. So that's just the type of situation that we need to be more aware of in our community and knowing our rights and just having that connection and everything. And at least seeking information about, okay, my rights were violated. Let's, what steps do I take? A moment of justice that I had was, um, I really do love police officers. And I want to give it to you, Officer Scott, because there was a situation I was dealing with one, one of the students at the community center that I work with, and I just needed him to have a reality and I know you were one of the officers who was willing to step in and help out this family and I'm so grateful that police officers like you really care about youth who are troubled and who are going down the belt route and take the moment to spend the time with them and care for them yeah Yeah. Bernetta do you want to share sure so I'm not sure if this is a moment of injustice or justice but I I don't know how throwback this is, but anywho, <laughs> um, I was un and it goes on the topic that we were talking about today is like knowing your rights. So I was driving in the neighborhood that is heavily policed, and at the time I was dropping off one of my family members, and the officers pulled behind me ran my registration and my license and they pulled me over and I had my registration I had my insurance my phone was on like three or four percent so I had my insurance but it was on my telephone at the time it was on a mobile app um so I was trying to show the officers this is my insurance information but they had already ran my license plate and my license plate and registration information came back as expired. So I did not know why they were pulling me over or why they were doing a livestock as officer Scott mentioned earlier in this conversation, um, a livestock because my registration was expired, but it actually wasn't what had happened was my insurance company that I was previously with, told the state department that I canceled my insurance with them. But the one thing that they don't tell you that insurance companies do or don't do is they don't, the new insurance company never called the state department to tell them that I currently have insurance. So what it looked like on the police system is as if I did not have insurance and I let it lapse. And so I was very, you know, just upset because I pay my insurance every month. I paid for my registration. I paid the gas that was in that car that they was about to take. And I was so upset. And no one could really help me understand as to why my car was being taken. So that was a moment. I don't know if that's unjust or just. um, But the cops explained to me that they had to take my car. They called out a number of cops because I wouldn't leave my vehicle because I did did not understand. And I locked myself in the car so that nobody can come in and try to get me because <laughs> I didn't know how I would react <laughs> to the officers because I was really upset. I just could not understand why. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and it probably did look like a movie. They probably thought it was something really uh, foreseen going on, but it wasn't. It was just me and I did not want to give up my vehicle. Um, a moment of justice. 
Um, I would say I haven't had many interactions with police officers um, in uniform, more or less. It's been outside of uniform because of the family members or the friends of family members. And, you know, we just have really good conversation as to how we can improve our community and how we can really tackle what what it what the community needs from police officers. Um, for me, just being a prior military, so being a veteran, a combat veteran, I understand a lot of the hazard and a lot of the nuances that goes into a very, very difficult job. And I don't know if there's a way where we can tackle it on one angle where the police officers understand, but just really having a conversation and the dialogues all the time, I think really helps. And for me, just having a listening ear from a police officer is justice. You want to share anything, Officer Scott? It's okay if you don't. Nah, I, I, nah <laughs> just, um, well, you know, as far as the injustice, I remember a time when I moved uh, from New York to uh, Philly and I never experienced any injustices uh, from New York Police Department um, per se, probably because the neighborhood I lived in was Bensonhurst, which wasn't heavily, you know, policed, um, predominantly Italian neighborhood. We had right. more mob than anything. You know what I'm saying? So they was out the neighborhood. They just wasn't, they just wasn't there. That's why um, I'm looking at you like that. <laughs> yeah. So, but when I came to Philly, there was a time when I was going to high school and I was walking home and this officer stopped me and I was scared. You know, I, I was scared, you know, not knowing what was going to happen because it was just me. And um, I had my book bag, and he told me to turn around. I walked right to his car, and I turned around, and he, he unzipped my book pack, um, my backpack, and he was, like, shuffling around in my backpack, like, moving things from to and fro. Yeah. And I was, like, thinking, like, to myself, like, w- w- like what is he doing and what's next, right? And then he said, all right, you good. And I looked, and I turned, and I faced him, and I didn't know what he meant by that, right? I didn't know whether he put something in my book bag. I didn't know whether I was able to walk away, you know, that I had a right to. I didn't know, right? I didn't know my rights, right? And I felt empowered. I felt ashamed, you know. I felt belittled, you know, um, and he just pulled off, and I was just still standing there. And then I eventually walked home. I don't think I ever told my um, family members what happened. Yeah, you know, but I know now that that was illegal, right? What he did. Yeah. So I remember that day, and the justice is that I am an officer that just happened to be black, and I'm able to teach, educate, and empower our community about rights, right? I'm also happy the fact that my brother is a police officer, right? And I know what he's made out of, and my son is currently a police officer. Right, and I know what he's made out of. Mm-hmm. We'll do the job, but I think it's very important that um, we keep in mind that there are some things that go on in this field, and it kind of toes the line of violation of civil rights. And we have people that you know um, govern themselves accordingly and do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I definitely yeah. agree with you, Officer Scott. Thank yep. you so much. So what we're going to talk about right now is just some housekeeping, housekeeping. things. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So as of right now. In children's services, we have a summer camp going on. Uh, right now, what we're going to do is our talent show is 
August 14th, if anybody wants to come, it will be at North Lake Community Center starting at 11 a.m. and ending at 1 p.m. Uh, we're going to also have a barbecue that day as well. So after the talent show, feel free to stay, enjoy some food, have a great time. Uh, yeah, Bernetta. And Kids Zone will uh, registration starting on August 22nd. If you are a parent who is currently enrolled in Kids Zone or summer camp, it's also we are also opening it up to the public starting August fifth. Um, if you are interested in joining Kids Zone, you can reach me at J Thornton T H O R N T O N at northlightcommunitycenter dot org. Bernetta, do you have anything you want to share about teen services? Sure, yes. So this is a very busy time for teen services right now. We have the work ready program that's underway where we employ teenagers ages 14 through 19 this year we um we employ them and we set them up with internships that are outside of the community center where there are private businesses and the students are working at over 15 work sites this summer and we have over 50 students in our work ready program Um, And we also just started the Team Works program, and that is for young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 that are interested in the trades, and that meaning welding, electricity, uh, electricians, plumbers, carpenters, um, all of those hands-on skilled training jobs. We want to make sure that our young adults and our teenagers that may have an interest but don't really know what path to take. They don't know if they want to take the Lincoln Tech trade route or if they want to take an ITT route. But what we are doing is we are preparing them to look at themselves and the skills and the training that they already have and apply that to somewhere where it's going to help them and help them grow into something that they want to be in the future. That we don't know and we can't say what that is, but we are definitely providing the tools and the access for that age range. So if you know any young adults or if you know anyone that is in high school that is interested in our programs here at North Light, please feel free to reach out to me. My email address is bwilliams at (laughs) northlightcommunitycenter.org. Let's close this out, and what we're going to, I want to just sum it up like this, right? It brings me to injustice for all. When I sit there and think about it, I think about all the situations that we talked about today. And we as a people have to let go of some of our prejudices. That's even us as civilians have to let go of our prejudice with the officers, Officers, you need to let go of some of your prejudice with some of the civilians. And we need to open our hearts and seek second chances for people who, let's say you committed a crime. Seek second chances for those people who are felons who can't get a job and allow them to people to realize that they have served their time. It is time for them to get a second chance. Let's open our hearts and give second chances to officers who might make a mistake on the street but they're trying to do the right things and be great officers. And let's be open-minded to officers and praise them, the ones that really do a great job. Um, I would like to thank all of you for showing up. Bernetta, 
Officer Scott. Um, thank you f- to the listeners who are listening to this podcast. Thank you to Maniac Studios for giving donating the time to for us. Um, have a great day. All right, this is John Thornton signing out. Oh, and Bernetta Williams. Yes, Bernetta, come on. <laughs> You've been doing. <laughs>